Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Drew O'Grizzik, and we're here with special guest Jeffrey Walsh of Vambex. Thank you very much for joining us, Jeffrey. Hey, thanks for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and what you do with Vambex? Sure. So I'm a uh, full-stack and Solidity developer at Vambex. I've been uh, coding for a couple of years. I'm self-taught. I did uh, PHP, JavaScript, HTML, CSS for a couple of years, but I was always into crypto. Uh, when I started reading more about Ethereum, I wanted to get involved. I saw you could program on it, and I've been down the rabbit hole for about uh, six or seven months now, and I'm pretty much living and breathing solidity and blockchain. Six or seven months, that sounds about as expert as anyone I know uh, in this space. It is pretty new. Uh, why? Why blockchain? Why were you interested in this? Uh, kind of an anarchist at heart. I like the decentralization aspects. I like, uh, like the accountability. I always say that like, uh, on the phones is how the big people watch you and the blockchain is how maybe we can watch them if we do this correctly. So I'm interested in uh, being a part of that. It's kind of like being a time and a revolution for me. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff I'd love to dive into. Uh, before we do that, tell us a bit about Vambex. What is it? Vanbex is, uh, it's two things right now, actually. It's client work. So we're uh, blockchain consultants and experts uh, dealing with a couple companies, Fans Unite, Right Mesh, anyone who wants to integrate a blockchain into their business or a smart contract into their business, maybe start a crowdfunding on the uh, blockchain. We'll help them with that. We'll help them with the development, the marketing, uh, anything like that. And then the other side is our own projects. And that's uh, mostly where I am. Uh, I help out with client work, but I mostly develop EtherParty, which is our app to help make smart contracts easier to use. Smart contracts uh, exist on the Ethereum blockchain, and we basically made a Wix or a Squarespace kind of thing to be able to click to create your own. Oh, very cool. So uh, kind of get up and running with your own uh, ICO or crowdfunding on the blockchain in a few clicks. Exactly. Like one page. Very, very cool. All right. So now coming back more into the, the sort of tech side, we're talking about a lot of uh, a lot of terminology here. We're just kind of throwing it out there. Let's get some definitions down or at least talk a little bit about some of the ideas behind it. So first one, what is what is blockchain? Okay, so everyone seems to have about a million different convoluted uh, ways to explain this, but I just think of it as computers agreeing on something. If there's a bunch of computers and they're all running the same code and they agree on something, then that can be entered into a public ledger because everybody agreed, right? So if I have, say, a Bitcoin and I'm going to send it over to Drew here and everybody agrees on the network that I've sent him a Bitcoin, well, we can reasonably say that I actually sent him a Bitcoin. But now let's say that I'm one of those computers. I'm running in a big network together with a bunch of other people. And I say I sent a million Bitcoins to Drew. Everyone else is going to say one because that's what actually happened when I sent it. So we can use this distributed agreeance method, agreeing method to sort of uh, define a, a, a block, a block of transactions that happened. And when they enter into the block, everyone is agreed. When the block is full, the memory is full, it can move on to the next block. That is the chain of blocks. A bunch of computers agreeing that something happened on a network. So that, as you're describing it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, of commits in version control. And um, what I was wondering was, what if you have different different uh groups with different levels of agreement. So you, when you would have something like a merge conflict uh, type idea where you have, in your example, you said this computer says uh, it, it sent a million, but all the others are saying one. What if you have 
um, more saying the million. Well, if you had 51% of them, then it would become official that a million was sent. This is why the whole world basically runs independent nodes. I think the, the, the most, the most percentage of computers running the network that exists for Bitcoin right now is something like 30, 35%. The closest it ever was, was 50.5%, I believe, in 2013. And then the people who were running that big network of computers, they decided to scale it back because there's no incentive, really, if you think about it. If you have 51% of the network and you can make whatever, uh, say whatever you want, then nobody will use the system anymore because it's corrupt and they'll move on to a different blockchain, a different currency. So there's actually no incentive for someone, aside from an anarchist reason, to gain that much control and manipulate the blockchain. But if you had, say, 49% of people saying, I sent a million dollars, and 51% are saying one, well, that 51% being correct would still work out. So it's reasonably safe to assume that people are trying to control as much and up to 49%, 50% of the blockchain power. So how do you become a node on that, uh, on that chain? You start mining. You run software on your computer. The more powerful computer, the more, uh, the more you can uh, uh, computate uh, algorithmically to actually help contribute. So the way that you mine is uh, there's an algorithm. It gets harder every time you guys successfully mine a block. Uh, if you're in a hash pool, that's a bunch of computers that are agreeing to work together. Because say you might have 100 weaker computers, well, you could compete with a, a single very strong computer. So you could work, work together. And you can say, we can solve the algorithm quicker. The first person to uh, solve that, that algorithm publishes it. It's an algorithm that's easy to work backwards from. So once the result is, uh, is there... Everyone can say, okay, that's the actual result, and they agree. So you can start running at home by yourself, but if you have a weak computer, like a MacBook or something overall, you're not really going to help contribute in the grand scheme of things because it's so late in the game for Bitcoin. For other blockchains, you can. You can run. There are newer blockchains being invented every day, and you can you can download their specific software, and you can start start mining. And the coins that you mine will get deposited to a wallet. So all of the computers that are sort of mining uh, – in in these blockchains are part of what uh, is agreeing upon uh, the transactions that have happened. Exactly. And the only way to become a part of that is to start mining. Now, how would you protect against someone um, saying, oh, there's, you know, there's a, a million nodes, I'm going to put two million computers, uh, attach two million computers, mine here and change history? I think you could actually do that. I think that's a that's that's an attack that could occur. And we're really early in blockchain right now. Uh, this is sort of the, the the problems that people are dealing with every day. Is we're the people who are trying to figure out how we can how we can do this. There's proof of stake coming for Ethereum instead of proof of work. So they're switching how they uh, how they how they actually do the computations. Uh, blockchain is trying to create, or uh, Bitcoin is trying to create other smaller networks on the side, Lightning networks like this. There's a lot of different things that are coming with with scaling and preventing an attack. But again, if somebody said, there's 1 million computers, I've got 2 million, well, they have 66%. If there's, or say that those are, each computer has, you know, equal amount of power, well, they now have 66% of the, the hash rate. So people would stop using that blockchain again, because they're over 51. So nothing could be secure and validated. Well, I wonder, um, I wonder how difficult it would be to fake something like that, maybe using virtual 
virtual machines or whatever. Or on the other hand, you know, wait five years, wait 10 years, wait 20 years, yeah. and then go back at some of the older networks and say, you know, a million, uh, a million computers with the power of, say, an Atari 2600 isn't too hard to come up with today. I, I, I don't, or what don't about quantum computing? What about when that comes out, right? right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that are going to happen with the processing power. But one of the great things is as the network grows, it becomes harder to do this. If you think of the Ethereum network, when it started out, maybe it had one computer. So if you run another one, you know, right when the guy runs the code the first time, when Vitalik, the creator of Ethereum, runs code the first time, he's the only miner. Now, if two people started mining, they'd control the network. As it grows, obviously, now there's thousands and thousands of miners, so it becomes harder to do. Hopefully, people use blockchain for the, the good intention. It's, it's a great test of, I actually think it's a fantastic test of human morality and character. Can we use this amazing thing properly as an international group of people, or are we gonna, are we gonna throw it away? I guess it probably, like most things, comes down to is there benefit in using it the a malicious way or the wrong way? Can I benefit myself? Can I succeed by doing that or win over others? I think right now you can't because it destroys the the validity of the blockchain. But I'm sure there's there's ways to uh, other blockchains that will come out that will function differently. And I think this is going to be one of the important things going forward is figuring out a way that can't be tampered with so much. If this is going to be an immutable history, which is blockchain's you know idea, well, it needs to be as secure as possible because otherwise we're putting something into a temporary storage basically. So a lot of times when we hear blockchain uh, that gets conflated with cryptocurrency, can we talk a little bit about what cryptocurrency is and uh, what, uh, what differentiates it from blockchain, for example, and then what sort of problems uh, blockchain might be good at solving? Sure. So yeah, cryptocurrency is uh, probably the, the biggest part of blockchain right now, I think. It's uh, taking most of the focus. Essentially, it's just when you mine on a, to make an incentive to mine on a blockchain, nobody's going to use this electricity, nobody's going to have their computer on all the time to mine and help if they're not getting something, right? That's, that's, that's pretty human. You, you want to get a reward for your time and your effort. So what you get is cryptocurrency. When you mine Bitcoin, you get Bitcoin. When you mine transactions in Ethereum, you get uh, Ethereum back, you get Ether back. Uh, this, is, this is the cryptocurrency. It's kind of... They're, all, they're almost a bit more like stocks right now than they are like currency because the infrastructure to actually utilize most of them isn't there. Uh, I think most people using browsers don't interact with the blockchain ever because they're not built in yet. So cryptocurrencies are currently being traded on exchanges. There's, uh, I think, hundreds of them. And they're essentially just numbers that exist in the blockchain to say how many of a token you have. You can trade them. They're instantaneous. They're international. They go... Uh, you have to pay some of your cryptocurrency to transfer as well. You can think of it kind of like Western Union, but instant. And you're your own bank is the biggest thing. You have a wallet when you have cryptocurrency. So you can hold, say you have a Bitcoin wallet, you hold Bitcoin in there. It'll say you have 1.5 Bitcoin. You can send a fraction of a Bitcoin. It's not like uh, one whole thing, which is why a lot, a lot of people have a misconception. They say Bitcoin, $5,000. Like, oh my God, how do you use it? You can, you can send a, a very small part of cryptocurrency. Okay, and then uh, so tying that back, what about blockchain? How is that different, and uh, what what sort of problems does it uh, solve? Cryptocurrency is just a byproduct of the blockchain. Is the biggest thing. It's the incentive for it to get going. If we couldn't, uh, if we could get people to run the networks without having to put the currency in, I think I don't even think the currency of uh, Ether would exist. Bitcoin would because that's the whole point. It's a cryptocurrency. Ether is a byproduct of the network, which allows 
programming to happen. And in order for people to run and use the network and not bloat it up, we're going to need a reason to do it. So you have gas and transaction fees. So cryptocurrency just sits on the blockchain. It's a byproduct. The blockchain itself can be utilized in a ton of different ways. Distributed public ledger is a big one. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, being able to hold certain uh, bodies accountable for things. If all of the money, say, that a government got in was in crypto, it would be traceable and it would be public and it would be visible and we could see where it goes. And if we say we don't have uh, money for funding, we don't have money for the fix of fentanyl crisis, we don't have uh, money to fix the housing crisis. Well, we could be able to see officially what uh, what's going on with the tax money that we spend in because right now it's just a cloud. Or uh, I watched a documentary about libraries being burned down in the Netherlands uh, or uh, the books being burned in libraries in the Netherlands because nobody's going to the, the libraries anymore. And these people are running them are just so sad because these books shouldn't be gone forever. Well, what if we were uploading the books to the blockchain? And that's, this guy in the Netherlands might only have 10 books that aren't already in it, but he could use the blockchain to see which books are uploaded. He could upload it and it could be a digital library of Alexandria for everybody to store the books in for all time. We're losing knowledge every day and we have a way to solve it. But most people right now are looking at the currency aspect of the blockchain. Let's hop over to ICOs. What's an ICO and why is there so much hype around this right now? Initial coin offering ICO. Um, basically, when you start a new cryptocurrency, which is getting easier and easier, uh, Ethereum, the blockchain, lets you create your own cryptocurrency on top of it. So it's kind of made that much simpler. An ICO is when you, uh, you sell your coin for the very first time. You create a crowdfund, you create a website, you do some marketing, you say, we've got this great idea. A lot of them mostly just have the idea and a roadmap and a white paper, which is like a technical outline of, uh, of what your project's going to do. And then you crowdfund. You accept Ether or Bitcoin and you disperse your token. And then now you have a cryptocurrency out there. And, uh, and then people start uh, running with it and it creates an economy of its own. But the ICO is when you release it to the public. So why did China... Uh, recently banned ICOs and uh, other other countries may be following suit. Do we see that happening uh, universally or internationally? I think you're going to see fight in every country on it. I think so. I think that China's banned it multiple times. They've never been um, they've never been forward with allowing it. I think there's certain countries that have. Japan said it's okay. Switzerland's using it in their government. Denmark is using it in their government. A lot of countries that are pro it. Uh, it's hard to say why China did it, but I think they like to keep a, a, a tight lid on what's going on over there. So that's basically it's also hard to wrestle in two billion people. So I don't know how effective the law is going to be. I think it mostly affects Chinese companies, not people uh, invest like Chinese people can invest in non-Chinese companies is, is the nomenclature they use. But going forward, it could change every day. That's basically the thing. Uh, the BC Sur Securities Commission ruled on their first. Uh, token being a, uh, a crowdfunding uh, fund here in Vancouver is the first sort of officially ruled on currency. We're in line as well at Vambex to be uh, to get to get ours ruled as a utility token. So you're starting to see some even provinces within countries have different opinions. Ontario is very against it. Uh, Kick an ICO coming up. I'm sure people know the Kick messaging app. It's one of the biggest in the world. They're doing an ICO called Kin. They've said that Canadians can no longer contribute because Ontario is so against cryptocurrency that they're deciding to blacklist the whole country. This is at the same time as the BC Securities Commission is officially ruling on them in a positive light. So now you don't even have countries. You have provinces arguing on it. So it's really hard to say what's going to happen. Very interesting. So what, what kind of, uh, for what sort of companies does it make sense 
to launch an ICO. We kind of see uh, almost everybody, you mentioned Kik, uh, is launching an ICO for their messaging app. How would that be used? Uh, we've seen, you know, some people, they have an idea, they've got a white paper. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are seeing this as an alternative to, uh, to getting other types of uh, venture capital. That's definitely true. I think where uh, to answer the first part of the question is what could it be used for? I think that I like to think of it as Canadian tire money. Anytime that your company could accept Canadian a version of Canadian tire money, you can accept a digital Canadian tire money, which is what this is. You might even see Canadian tire coming out with uh, a coin in the next couple of years. I mean, I've Burger King actually heard it. somebody say exactly that Canadian tire. And I thought, um, you know, some of the differences that I would see would be one. There's a one to one mapping between Canadian tire money and Canadian dollars. Uh, and I don't think that's quite the same with uh, with the coins, with cryptocurrencies. Um, but then the other thing is, what is that worth? You know, and it's only usable at Canadian Tire in that case. Whereas the coin, where is that usable? And how do we how do we know? How can we prove that? This is a big problem is most of them aren't usable. You see that like they're being traded like stocks on exchanges right now. And that's not where blockchain is going to go. There's two types, basically. There's ones that are akin to securities, and then there's utility tokens. Utility tokens have a use. Uh, this is the biggest problem that we see right now is that everybody who wants to start an ICO, wants to, they have fear of missing out. They have FOMO. They just want to get in on, on a craze because they heard this company raised this and this company raised that. And you're seeing this a lot because a price of a token on an exchange can go up 10 times in a week and then it can fall back down. This is unheard of in the stock market. So it's getting some big money people involved for the very first time. Actually, you're seeing I think the total market cap of cryptocurrency is like 170 billion or something like this right now. So you're seeing a lot of people get involved who normally wouldn't and they don't need the blockchain and it's not and it's not for them. Uh, you can use this as like, for instance, our app, EtherParty, the fuel token where we're launching, use it in our app. It's how you launch contracts. We take it as a form of payment. It's basically Canadian tire money for EtherParty. And we're going to use this to facilitate an easier way to pay us. You could pay us with PayPal or something like this, or you could pay through a bank account. But then now we're nationalized. We're centralized again. And we have all these things and these infrastructures we need to go through in order to be able to pay us. If you just want to buy some fuel from our app, you hook up an Ethereum address and you buy the fuel and you use it for us. It actually has a utility. And we're trying to focus on, when we take clients, trying to focus on ones who have utility as well. Because there's a lot of community backlash right now. I'm sure you know that uh, people are getting in for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. And uh, so what are some of the right reasons? You mentioned utility token, but you also mentioned securities. Uh, are there right reasons in both of those areas and wrong reasons? I think like a great example is like 10x and uh, those, those other crypto debit cards. They're creating cards where you can pay in stores and it'll just convert it automatically and you'll get like a percentage uh, of your transaction fee back when you use it in the in the token card like 10x card this is a great idea for it because you're actually paying rewards and dividends like your royal bank visa does but it comes back to you and essentially money that you can convert and do whatever you want in that token you're not limited to buying you know the toaster from the royal bank rewards gift cards package i think that's a great utility i don't think it has to be complicated or big i think it can be really simple i think that you can just take uh and anything that would work as a as a functioning circular model where uh, a, a currency or, a, or a, a voucher needs to be used, you can, you can digitize and use that. But it's hard to think of a lot that aren't already happening. And this is why you're seeing the, the, the people come in. Smart contracts. What exactly are they? Okay, smart contracts are like a deterministic, which means non-random. There's no randomness. They're a deterministic way to launch a, a, a set of code on, a, on the blockchain, on the Ethereum blockchain specifically. So if you think of like a situation where me and Drew here are going to hang out and uh, agree to pay $10 to paint this room that we're in, and uh, you know he paints it, and I go, you know, I didn't, 
I didn't like it. I'm just not going to pay you. You know what? Actually, it looks fine, but I'm just not going to pay you because I'm a jerk. Well, a smart contract could arrange this in a trustless, deterministic way where we both enter our money into something like an escrow. And it's just released after, you know, he, he completes the job. And I and a third party says that like an intermediary says that they complete the job in this way that you get it deterministically. You can see the money in the contract. You can read the code. You can see the money. And you know it's going to be released on a certain date because this is in the code as well. And because it's in a blockchain, which, as we said earlier, is immutable, it can't be changed, you know that this code is going to function exactly as written. That's basically a smart contract. The tokens that you see, these uh, cryptocurrencies that are on the Ethereum blockchain, they're just smart contracts. And they hold your balance of your tokens in that contract. And in this way, you can view the contract and you can see all the, everyone who holds that cryptocurrency is, is viewable on that contract's page. So are there ways for any party involved to view those contracts and to sort of vet those contracts? Yes, they're all viewable on the blockchain. That's, uh, and you can use uh, Etherscan. It's a website where you can kind of a block explorer. So if you have just your address where your crypto is held or you have a contract at that address, you can go read that code there. It'll compile down to the raw byte code as well. So you can make sure that the contract you're looking at is the contract you're interacting with. The whole thing is basically being public, being forward with it. This is trustless coding. So for people interested in getting involved in getting kind of rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty with blockchain, uh, what are some good resources for getting started? And what are some uh, good problems or maybe pet projects to, to work on to get started with that? I think if you're interested in programming on the blockchain, uh, Ethereum is a great way to get started because the language for it, Solidity, is actually quite simple. They've removed a lot of things from other languages to make it simpler because it does have to function in such a deterministic way that you don't want any chance of error going on. If you have any coding knowledge, pick up Solidity. You can help. You can be part of the people who are trying to think of the, the, the good reasons for decentralization and actually implement them. If you're not a coder and you're interested, you can start with it as well. But there's also so many other things that need to be done. There's community evangelism. Uh, you can go to Bitcoin Talk and start read, make an account, read some threads. You can read white papers if you're thinking of investing in ICOs and you can actually do your due diligence and you can make sure you're not investing into something that doesn't need to be in a blockchain. You can start uh, Reddit slash R slash FDev is a great, great resource. It's basically like Stack Overflow or Stack Exchange, a programming help site, but the community there is fantastic. It's where I post all my idiotic questions when I'm up at two in the morning and get stuck down a rabbit hole. Uh, and they're always there to answer. Jeffrey Walsh, uh, thank you very much for being on this episode. For our listeners, uh, if they're interested in reaching out to you, uh, what's a good way to find you? Are you on Twitter? I guess you're obviously on Reddit. Yeah, uh, my Reddit account is Diabetes Jones, old band I was in. Uh, my email is J-E-F-F-E-R-Y at vanbex.com. I'll take uh, any questions. I'm glad to help. Thanks very much for being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YBR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.